0: This morning, as we continue in our study of the pastorals, First, Second Timothy and Titus, you'll be r- reminded that over the last couple of weeks or the last couple of times we've been in here, Paul, he started and he said, hey, look, there are certain people who are teaching and they're teaching a, a false gospel. He said it was a different teaching, a strange teaching. They're putting forth that you need to pay attention to genealogies, that you need to pay attention to all these myths and all these things that are spread far and wide. And, and to understand these things is to understand this, this new or this better gospel. Paul interrupts. He says, hey, but these guys don't even understand what they're talking about. This is false. These guys shouldn't teach these things. Last week, Paul opens up and he says, this is what the law is for. And he goes down through, and you'll remember that he lists it off just this series of sins. He says it's for the liars, it's for the perjurers, it's for the fornicators, it's for all these people who catch themselves living lives that are unholy. Then he gets to the end and he says, hey, look, just in case you heard this list of things and you thought, well, man, I am safe and secure. Paul says, and it's anything else that doesn't accord with sound doctrine. Paul shows us that the law, when applied to our lives, highlights a need. It highlights a deficiency. It highlights our inability to please God outside of his saving grace. And one of the most powerful things we can do as Christians when we encounter people is to give them our testimony. We we share with them, we exchange with them the power of God present in our lives. And it is something that, that, quite simply, people have a hard time arguing with. Because you walk in and you tell somebody, you say, hey, look, from my experience, this is is what I was like. This is the manner of life that I was engaged in, and then God visited me in salvation. That God exposed my inability to please him, that he is a holy God, that he exposed my selfishness, that he exposed my pride, that he exposed my my life as as a liar, one who seeks after making an idol of himself and of those things around him. That man, has God exposed those things to me? That is, He unearthed my need for Him, that He moved mightily in calling me to salvation. You see, and that's what Paul offers us here. In verses 12 through 17, he offers us a picture of a life transformed and the powerful picture of the gospel. Let me read for us these few verses. Paul writes, and he says, I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. And this resounds in praise for Paul. He says, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 Paul gives us a picture this morning of the power of the gospel and its transforming effect in his life. And he begins with this. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he has judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Paul starts off in the beginning. He says, look, the first thing the gospel resounds in us, it produces in us, is this deep sense of thanksgiving. It's this deep sense that the gospel, as it is powerful, as it applied to our lives, that our response is one of thanks. Our response is one of thanks because we realize that we could not do this on our own. We couldn't overcome sin. We couldn't overcome death. If left to us and our devices, we are lost. There is no hope for us. There's no amount of false good we could do. There's no amount of money that we could give. There's no amount of hours of community service that we could work. So our response to Christ is one of tremendous thanks. And this is how Paul writes it. He says, I thank him who gives me strength. Now, the way this is constructed, the way that Paul writes this, this the one who gives me strength, he is calling Jesus the strengthener. He's saying that Jesus is the one who, who strengthens, Jesus is the one who empowers, and so to have faith outside of Jesus is, is a powerless faith. He says Jesus is the one who strengthens, Jesus is the one who empowers. And then he's got this phrase, he says, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Now, a lot has been made over this expression, and, and what Paul is, is getting at, what Paul is trying to explain, he says, because he... He found me to be faithful. So is Paul making the argument that that God came down in the person of Jesus and said, Man, I've got to find me a faithful person. It's, you know, the year 42, 43. I've got to find me a faithful person. And so he went around and he said, Anybody know anybody in Tarsus that's faithful? Somebody said, Man, I know this guy Saul. is Is he faithful? Well, he's killing Christians right now. So you're saying Not faithful. And so it's not that, not that God came down and said, let me find somebody that's tremendously faithful, and let me just, you know, elevate them a little bit, put them on a pedestal, give them a nice new chariot, and send them on their way. No. It's that God came in, and He found the most unlikely of persons. He found absolutely the most unlikely of persons. You see, if you are going to find somebody that is, that is faithful if you were going to find someone who is, who is really given and, and, and the obvious choice, it would not have been Paul. Paul said, but God judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. So you'll remember the, the account of Paul when he is on the road to Damascus in Acts 9. That Paul is on the way and his, his mind and his heart is bent on persecuting Christians, is it not? Paul's mind and his heart is on persecution, persecuting Christians, and, and Paul gives us this great account of it in Acts 22. The encounter itself happens in Acts 9, but Paul is recounting it in Acts 22 after he's been arrested, giving us a, a pattern of what would be very cyclical in Paul's life, of freedom and arrest, freedom and arrest. And Paul begins in verse 3, and he says, "These guys, this is me. He says, I am a, a Jew. I was born in Tarsus. But brought up in this city, he's talking about Jerusalem. He says, Ex- educated, not executed, that'd be awkward, at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. He says, this is my manner of existence. He says, I was a Jew in every sense and every fashion that you find acceptable to be a Jew. And he said, and I persecuted the way. I persecuted followers of Christ. I persecuted Christians. To death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers and journeyed towards Damascus to take also those who were there and to bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul so hated the movement of Christ that he he sought out an opportunity to travel some 150 miles to a faraway city so that he could bring people under judgment. Paul so hated the things of Christ, he so hated to see this this way, these followers of Christ, what he thought in his mind to be an aberration, he so hated it that, man, he was moving to bring people to certain death, that he was moving and wanted to travel to a faraway city to bring people into punishment. But, But then we see this transformation take place. Paul says in verse 6, he says, As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus of Nazareth whom you are persecuting. So Paul has this tremendous encounter. He has this tremendous encounter with Jesus. Jesus. Paul, who was doing everything he knew to do to please God. Paul was doing everything that he could conceive to to please God. He was bringing people for, for trial and for punishment that he thought were moving against God. He was zealous for the things that he thought were of God, but in fact, he was moving against God. And Jesus interrupts his plans. It says, a light shone all around him. He fell to the ground. He was blinded by the glory of God. And he heard this, that he was, in fact, working against God. See, God calls Paul out of the midst of his life. He calls Paul out of the midst of everything he's doing, and he calls him into submission and sacrifice. And he gives us a thumbnail sketch of the transformative power of the gospel. Paul writes in verse 13, he says, Though I was formerly a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. Paul is offering some shorthand here to tell about the, the horrid and awful things he did. That when Stephen was stoned, Paul stood there and made sure no one stole the garments. That when Stephen gave this tremendous testimony about this historical salvation, the movement of God across time, Paul stood there and ensured that those who were stoning Stephen wouldn't lose any of their belongings. And Paul's desire was to see Christians persecuted. Paul's desire was to move against the gospel. He says, I was a blasphemer. He was speaking against God. He was not just a passive opponent, this person who refuses to engage in whether belief is true or false, but he was actively moving and speaking against Christ. He was persecuting those who followed him, and he was an insolent opponent. He was unrelenting in his attack on Christianity, on this fledgling movement of faith. He says, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. See, Paul, as he he studied what he conceived to be the Word of God, as he read these things, he was acting in accordance with what he thought God was. He was acting in accordance with his understanding and his conception of truth, but he had turned a blind eye to the revealed truth that God had visited in the flesh in the person of Jesus and was calling all men to know him. Paul says, I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me, verse 14, with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He says, but the grace and love overflowed for me. See, this paints this tremendous picture. Now, many of us have probably overfilled uh, a cup or two in our lives, right? I mean... If, if you've raised any children, you've watched them overflow cups. You've watched them expand the bounds of what can be contained in a glass, what can be contained in a cup, and it's spilled all over the place. And that gives us some sense of what it's like when the grace of God overflows the bounds of what is able to contain. And that probably makes you feel, makes you feel good. It makes you have this understanding that, man, God is, is so loving, so gracious towards me that he takes my puny little cup and, and he puts in there more than it can contain. See, that's a really awful picture of what Paul's trying to present here. Imagine if I had a, a, a one-quart jug, okay? So I've got this one-quart jug, and I'm, and I'm walking, and I'm carrying it, and I'm going to fill it up. This is the tremendous display of God's overflowing love and grace and mercy. And if I, if I go to fill this up, see, I don't just go to a water hose. I don't just go to a fire hydrant. But I find myself standing at the very bottom of Niagara Falls, and I hold this cup out. See, as this cup is battered and, and bruised and beaten by the cascading waterfall. The amount to which this cup is overflowed, that it is filled beyond its ability to contain, is immeasurable. And that is the measure by which God's grace has overflowed in Paul's life. That is the measure of grace with which it has overflowed in the lives of those who profess to a knowledge of Christ. The grace of God overflowed in Paul's life. with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And then Paul gives us the gospel in short. He gives us the gospel in summary. He says this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Paul will do this five times in the pastoral epistles. Five times he'll have this formulaic expression where he says this thing is, is worthy of full acceptance. is trustworthy. He says that Christ Jesus came into the world To save sinners, of whom I am foremost. See, we hear these words, and we've heard them so often. If if you've spent any length of time in church at all, these things just pass right over you. That whether or not you've sat down and and had some extensive training on how to share the gospel. See, if you've merely just been in church for any period of time, you can likely recite. You can likely rehearse all the major themes and movements around what it is for somebody to come to faith. You're like, uh, man, is, man is sinful. He does awful, awful things, some more awful than others, but all awful. God is just. God is good. He has to do something about that, so he sends his son to serve as a sacrifice on man's behalf, and he rises from the dead so that we might have eternal life. And that's just kind of loosely kind of what we throw out there. But when Paul writes to them, he says, don't, don't, don't miss this. Don't miss this. He says, Christ came into the world. You remember when we studied Philippians? Paul writing about Jesus, he said that Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be selfishly held on to. That Christ surrendered of himself, he, he refused to avail himself of all the privileges that were his by being very God. That he came down, that he dwelt in humanity, that he dwelt in flesh. So when Paul writes that, that Jesus Christ came into the world, he's reminding, of this, reminding them of this tremendous fact. That Christ dwelt from eternity past in perfection with the Godhead, but that he entered into fallen, depraved humanity. That he came and, and he lived life here on this terrestrial ball, as we sang earlier. I mean, that he suffered insults at the hands of his creation. That he suffered hunger. That he suffered sickness. That he suffered all of these things and then he ultimately gave his life at the hands of His creation. That He gave His life at the hands of His creation. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. See, that Jesus came into the world to save you, that He came into the world to save me. That He came into the world to save even those people that we detest, even those people that we think not worthy of the grace of God every man and every woman that you've ever looked at with disdain, with disfavor, every one of those, Jesus Christ came into the world to save. He came into the world to save sinners. And Paul has this to say about sinners. He says, of whom I am foremost. Paul claims to be the foremost sinner. He claims to be the foremost sinner. Now, Paul isn't entering into an odd bit of of. You know, bragging. If you think about it, Paul was, in a very real sense, the most heightened version of a sinner that they could conceive of. You'll remember that when Paul was blinded and he went in and, and Ananias was sent to, to essentially help Paul receive his sight again, Ananias has this little conversation with God. He says, Hey, not sure you're aware of it. I'm sure Paul's a great guy, but he's been killing us. Just want to throw that out there. I'm not, I'm not sure how you'll take that. God's like, hello. I mean, I blinded him. We just just go, okay? See, everybody knows the name of Paul. The Jews look at Paul and they say, man, Paul is one who's doing so well for our cause. But he lost it. Early on, Christians look at Paul and, and they think, I'm just not sure. Is this guy Benedict Arnold or is he really a convert? I don't know what's going on. They don't know if they should trust or not trust Paul. But there's this great exchange that when we see the conversion of Paul, we read that when God speaks of Paul, he says, Paul will find out what it is to be my servant and how great he will suffer for my name. See, Paul's conversion is tremendous. It's, it's it's phenomenal it's hard to, to put into to words that God took someone who is so adamantly opposed to the things of Christ so adamantly opposed to redemption in the name of Christ and he took this man and he interjected himself in his life and he saved him so he didn't, didn't just save him from his former way of existence he saved him completely from everything in total Paul says that he is the foremost sinner. We have a ready understanding that he is indeed the foremost of sinners. Paul says in verse 16, he says, But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. See, this is the awesome power of God. God takes somebody who is breeding murderous threats against the way that God has chooses God has chosen to extend salvation to humanity. He he chose Paul, he chose somebody who every waking moment and probably most of his dreams were committed to a destruction of Christianity. He chose this man that 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 when he thought of Christianity, all he thought about was how to squash it like a bug. All he thought about was how to bring it to an end. God chose Paul, his perfect enemy, and he chose to visit grace upon Paul. Paul says, I received mercy for this reason, that since I was the worst sinner imaginable at this time, that Jesus might display his perfect patience in me. That as people think about me, as people think about Paul, that they would reflect and think, man, this guy is a murderer, this guy is a persecutor, this guy was actively moving in opposition to the things of God. And God moved in his life and he saved him in a radical way and he transformed him and he took him from an enemy to a friend. He took him from a persecutor to an uplifter. He took him from a man who wanted to see the destruction of Christianity and who turned out to write over half of the New Testament. And that's the transforming power of God, is it not Paul says it so that God could display his perfect patience to all those who become believers in him for eternal life. And this is how it resounds in Paul's life. Paul writes in verse 17, he says, to the king of the ages. He says, to, to the God who has existed from eternity past, immortal. This God who is, is not bent For destruction, this God who will last forever, invisible that no eye has seen, only God. Paul makes the definitive claim that that God is the only one, that there is no other. He says, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. See, we see in Paul a light and a reminder that when I reflect upon my life, when I remember the fact that, that at seven, I wasn't a good kid, I wasn't a bad kid, I was just a kid. I mean, I, I did things that were wholly wrong, I, I disobeyed my parents, I said things that weren't true, I've told you guys when I tried to start a fire in the kitchen, and so I, I, I was just a kid. But even as a child, I had this deep understanding that I was opposed to God. That I wanted things my way, that I I didn't want to follow and obey my parents. I didn't want to commit my life to surrender. And then my life got confronted with a gospel. That God has sent in his son Jesus Christ to die as a payment for my sins, my inability to do right, my inability to overcome wrong. And see, mine is, I wasn't a murderer. I wasn't a blasphemer, I wasn't a persecutor, but I was moving against God. And then as we hear testimony after testimony, both of the time that, that Patty spent in Honduras and we see the power and the presence of the gospel moving in the Philippines, what we see is this, is that as men and women encounter a holy God, that there is no place for wait and see, that there is no place for indifference. There's only submission. Because the truth of the gospel is this, as Paul writes us, He says that Christ came into the world to save sinners. And we begin to recognize that we, each of us, are the foremost. That we, each of us, as we held on to our sin and our pride and our desires to see things go the way that we want them to, that we were rebelling against God as we submit ourselves to Him and cry out, Abba, Father, save us. That God is both faithful and true. and He will come into you and He will save you from your sin. He will save you from a lifetime spent, an eternity spent in hell. Paul gives us the gospel that Christ came into the world to save sinners. And the heart cry of each of us is that we are the foremost let me pray for her.